Matthew 22, Matthew 22, if you want to be turning there. Uh, <clears throat> we have been trudging through Matthew over now, I don't know how many months or a couple of years now. Uh, and it's just so rich, so very, very rich. And tonight, as I look at this text again, it's no exception. Um, as I've said before, just kind of as a review, because we haven't been in in a while. Uh, again, this is just a, a way to get handles on the book of Matthew, right? Handles. I mean, it's not inspired, but it's just like uh, the book of Matthew, I think, uh, represent, uh, presents Jesus as uh, in three categories. He is uh, the king of kings. He is the prophet of prophets, and he is the priest of priests, meaning the highest of every one of those categories, right? And uh, we're in the section still as he is the prophet of prophets, uh, showing, exposing truth, biblical truth, divine truth about the hearts of men, about what who God is, he, God the Father, who he is. He's revealing, revealing, revealing uh, like a prophet would. And he pronounces, and he is God, and uh, it also exposes who we are as human beings. Um, and again, this is why it's very, very instructive for us to see it, because as we see more accurately, then we can see life also more accurately and respond to life more appropriately and be aware, be aware of our own motivations, uh, some of you know, my wife has been uh, at the island. I was at the island, uh, and then I came back, and then she stayed to spend some time herself in quietness and reading and praying and so forth. And uh, past couple of days, I've been here and been trying to achieve some things, and there's been a lot of frustrations. Ron has been witness of some of the frustrations that we can't even understand. And so I was, this morning, I was feeling kind of bad, all these frustrations, and I thought, ah, what? Oh, I know what. I want to love my wife. I'm going to, there's this, the closet doors, those that you pull and they kind of fold together, and well, they've been messed up for, I don't know how long. <laughs> and she's told me, fix them, fix them. And I said, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to fix those doors for her. And so this morning, I end up going frustrations and get the drill and get the parts out and blah, 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 blah. And I finally got it up. It's like, that feels good. Ah, I know what. Another, there's a cabinet. There's, the door is all messed up. And, and it's just one of those hinges that's kind of odd. And so, you know, I'm going to fix that for her too. And it's in the kitchen. So I went and I, you know, fixed it. And the man working right. It's like, yes. Nancy's going to come home. And, ah. and I thought, yes. Yes, but all that had nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with Jesus. And that's a, in a positive way. I, I got to do some things that, right? But nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus wasn't a, a part of any of that. I didn't even pray about it. I wasn't thinking, I just, you know, and I think that's a, a characteristic of us living life. We can do so many things. And when we don't know Jesus, here's the deal. What I thought about myself. We turn to things that we can do. That we know how to do. And we can feel good about it. And legitimately so. Only Jesus is left out. Huh. And it can go in the negative way too, right? Because when we don't know Jesus, when people don't know Jesus or ourselves, we can uh, turn to uh, uh, things that only get us in trouble, get us into more and more trouble. It might be relational trouble. It might be moral trouble. But when we don't know Jesus, even having Bible knowledge can get us in trouble. Because now we're relying on knowledge rather than relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. You know, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Uh, and it seems so innocent, right? It seems so like, what's wrong with fixing your wife's 
closet door, whatever, you know. Well, there's nothing wrong. But if that's what I'm relying upon, then, you know, those are called sins of the heart. There's obvious sins, right? The outward, the sins of the flesh that are so obvious. And sometimes we just focus on those. But there can be sins of the heart. And Jesus had been training his disciples on how, how, you know, how do you live when I'm not here physically? Because when he was here, I mean, he did whatever he did. Demons were on the way. Hey, you, out. Boom, he was out. Oh, you're hungry. There's, you know, 5,000 people. Not a problem. Boom. <laughs> I mean, but he's gone. He's coming back. So how do you live? How do you, you know? And the fundamental problems, of, one of the fundamental problems is the lack of knowledge of Jesus. The lack of knowledge of who he is. We might know about him rationally, but do we know in our hearts of what does he mean and who is he? That he can determine my will, my emotions, my goals, my everything in life. Do I know him that way? I don't. I think I do, but I don't. Because it shows up real quickly when I examine myself and see my motivations. You see. Um, and really in our times, at all times, misunderstanding of Christ and Christianity. Misunderstanding of Christ and Christianity is one of the biggest problems in the world. Is that not the case? I mean, if people knew whether it was the political leaders or whoever, if they knew Jesus in a much deeper way, I think we'd be a little bit better off. <laughs> but that's the problem. Even in, in the church when Jesus is misrepresented so much, our young people don't want anything to do with Christianity because they see hypocrisy and all kinds of problems. And what is it? The lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ, of the person of Jesus. Uh, because, I mean, don't we all want peace? We all want peace in our hearts. We want peace in our relationships. We want peace in the Middle East. We want peace in America. We want peace in our jobs, in all of life. But when we come to realize that there is no peace without the Prince of Peace, we got to know him and we got to deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is. Some of you might remember Acts 4.12. And there is no name under heaven by which man may be saved. Jesus Christ. There is no name under heaven by which man may be saved. Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we, we, we acknowledge our, our sinfulness. And we believe that Jesus died for our sins, rose again from the dead. That he died for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. He conquered death. And if he can conquer death, then he can conquer any problem. Whether it's cancer, whether it's divorce, whether it's whatever. All, no matter the sins that are there. They can be forgiven because Jesus conquered sin and death. But we need to receive him, right? We are called to receive what he has done. It isn't anything that we can work for and gain it. No. And that, that hits at our human ego, right? What do you mean I can't do it? No, no, no. No, it's only Christ. Hmm. Wow. And so we come to ourselves to ask, you know, where are you in your understanding of who Jesus is? Is he, is he really your Lord in your life? Because we can all say it, right? But when we relate and when we behave, that tells the real truth. And so is the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is he the one that people turn to? Because you know him as Lord? You know, those are questions that, again, reveal to me, my own, my own person, that I don't know Jesus as well as I need to know him. Right? And so, 
Jesus has been training his disciples. He has been training his disciples um, about how to live life. And one of the most important things is you need to know who I am. And look at the way I deal with people. Look at the way I deal with those who are rejecting. Because that's going to help you the way you deal with people who are rejecting. Right? But it's that, again, that needs to, the deepening understanding of who Jesus is. We can all rattle things about Jesus, right? But if that, if we know him truly with what we can rattle off, then it's going to be, show up in the way we relate, in the way we respond to life's problems, right? And so if where we are in, in Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, Jesus has been responding to the attacks by the enemies, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the scribes, the chief priests, they've been attacking him. And they've been trying to uh, catch him on something. And so we've seen, hey, do we pay taxes or not? <clears throat> Gonna nail him. <laughs> he just silenced them, right? What about the resurrection? There was this man, uh, had, there were seven brothers. And in the Old Testament, the Bible says, if the brother died without having children, the next one has to take him, take this wife, so he'll have children in his name. Had seven when they all died, and then she died. <laughs> what about the resurrection? Whose wife is he going to be? Ah, Jesus nailed them, silenced them. And question after question after question, the, the disciples were watching, they were watching because he was training his disciples. And now here comes another one. Here comes another uh, attempt to catch Jesus in some way that they can condemn him or show that he really isn't who he says he is. Uh, and they've tried and tried and tried, and here's the last one. And then after they try and he nails them, and then he asks a question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> By that time, I suspect that everybody wanted to crawl under the rug. But we need to understand what's happening here. Again, he had silenced the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the chief priests. He silenced them. And then we pick it up now. Um, and, you know, <laughs> they didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so they turn to their own methods, their own schemes. And that's what we all do when we don't know Jesus Christ. We turn to our own abilities, our own expertise, our own professionalism, our own whatever, uh, to get what we want. Women may use their bodies. Men may use their knowledge or abilities. But we all turn to our own devices, right? Um, so here the Pharisees come. Uh, so let me read the passage and we'll read the whole thing from uh, Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. And so we read here, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus has silenced <laughs> the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer. Oh, here we go. A lawyer asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, they said, son of David. Beautiful. Correct. Verse 43. He said to them, then... How does David in the spirit 
call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? He couldn't answer. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him any other question. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. So we have the setting here, verse 34 to 36. Uh, we see the heart of the law and the prophets. What's the heart? of the law and the prophets. What's all the do's and don'ts and rituals about? Let's get to the heart of the whole thing. And then Jesus says, the fact of the matter is you don't understand Messiah. And Messiah happens to be me. But you don't understand. And so let's look at the setting first of all. Uh, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus has silenced the Pharisees, actually he had silenced them already as well, and the Pharisees, and now he's going to attempt again because, because their way of life and what they were depending on was being threatened. And that's what is instructed for you and me. When our way of life and our way of thinking is being challenged, how do we respond? It might be the wife challenging me, your husband challenging you, your children challenging you. How do we respond? Here, the Pharisees decided we still got to come up with a better plan. That one didn't work so, but it has nothing to do with really saying, wait a minute, who's talking here? What has he done? He's shown to be absolutely righteous. He's shown power over death and life. Why not? Maybe we ought to listen. No, no, no. Uh-uh. They had seen how Jesus silenced the Sadducees. They gathered themselves together. The text actually says they were gathered. What's the difference? They gathered themselves, meaning they did it. But if they were gathered, somebody else did something to them and gathered them. The voice is passive and is passive again later in the, in the book, in the passage here. Something was happening beyond them and they had no idea. They had no idea. As far as they concerned, we're going to get this Jesus. We're going to nail him somehow. But they were being gathered. You see why this, why this is important. One of them, a lawyer. Now think about it. They had seen them silence the Pharisees. They had seen the Jesus silence the Sadducees several times. So it's like, man, we, that was all our B team, man. We got to get our A team. We got to get the, I mean, really intellectual. The man, somebody that can really handle him. Who is it? And they probably, you know, so-and-so. He's good, but yeah. No, 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 this guy over here. Okay, let's get the highest lawyer here. You know, the guy that has, you know, all the millions and millions and millions of dollars of law cases that he's won. Let's get him. One of them, a lawyer, and the lawyers were not just loyal, uh, lawyers in civil matters. These lawyers were the experts in the law of Moses and the prophets. They were the experts, the top of the top of the top, concerning the law of Moses and the prophets. So they, okay, let's throw our champion in there. <laughs> One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Matthew just kind of throws that in there because that's what's happening. Right. They want to um, 
catch Jesus in the lack of knowledge or push him in one direction or another where he makes a mistake and ah, nail him. That's the, that's the what they were doing. And remember, the disciples are watching. The disciples are watching. Oh my goodness, he's got, here's this high-powered, high-powered attorney. And he, oh, how is Jesus going to handle this? And then, hypocritically, how they've done before, they first approach Jesus with, quote-unquote, respect. Verse 36, teacher. And you might remember what I said about, at that point, how teachers were considered. They were considered incredibly, incredibly significant, important. Uh, if you were a teacher, everybody would stand up when you would walk into a place and you walk into your own home. Even your father had to stand up if you were a teacher. So when this lawyer, teacher, I know you're good. <laughs> I've seen you silence everybody. But I got a question for you, point. I can challenge you. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm. Teacher, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? And you need to know something. Here, what he's getting at is this, because remember, he's testing him. It's not just about the, well, the Ten Commandments. Well, what about all the Levitical sacrifices and all that, all the commandments of the you know, sacrifices? And so, there were two schools at that time. And in those schools, there were the heavy commandments and the light commandments. Uh, there were uh, Hillel and Shemai schools, right? And one of them said, the ritual commandments, man, they are the, they, that sort of commandments, those are the highest, most important ones. The rituals, not the ethical ones. The ethical, well, yeah. And then the other school, no, 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 the ethical ones. The ethical are most important. The rituals are really less important, but the most important, the ethical ones. And so this is what this lawyer is coming at. And so if Jesus says one, then he's against that other school. If he says this one, they caught him on this other school. You see the trickery? They wanted to nail him. Which is the great commandment in the law? <laughs> That's the setting. You know, uh, what's that program, Shark Bite or Shark Tank? What is it? Shark Tank, right? Somebody comes selling something and, oh, these people, you, know, you got to be on your game so you can sell it because these guys are millionaires, billionaires, and they can, right? And it's a big challenge. So, in some way, Jesus was there with all these, and all the Pharisees were standing there, and you can almost see all the audience there, and the disciples were there, and Jesus, okay, which is the greatest commandment? This one, the rituals or the moralistic ones, the ethical ones? Jesus says, basically, you don't understand the heart of the law and the prophets. You're thinking that it's this behavior or this behavior. No. No. It's neither the ritual nor the ethical. That's the heaviest. Now he answers with what's at the heart of the law. Right? So now he quotes from um, Deuteronomy 6 was called the Shemai. Hear, O Israel, God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Listen. Heart, soul, mind are non-physical. non-physical. It's about the inner part. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your 
passions, with your mind, with all the physical, non-physical part of you, with all your soul, your whole being, your own mind and strength. And then he says, this is the most important one and the foremost of commandments. You see? Because that's what they were getting at. Which one, the ethical or the, the burnt offerings or the Ten Commandments? Which one? Mine? Listen, they would have all these arguments and lawyers and all this stuff. And Jesus says, you're missing it, man. You're missing it. Um, I think it's in uh, Mark 12. Uh, and this is why Jesus adds there uh, in verse 38. This is the, this is the, the greatest commandment, the, the heaviest commandment, and the foremost commandment. Um, it's, um, I want to say Mark 12. I thought I wrote it down, but I, maybe I didn't. 1228, is it? Yes, uh, Mark 12, 28. Look at what it says. Uh, <clears throat> just to confirm that this is what he's getting at. Um, no, verse 33. Mark 12, verse 33. And to love him with all your heart and all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see? So that's where you see, in other words, what the lawyer was asking is, what sort of commandment is the greatest commandment? The rituals or the ethical? They've got two schools. And you're going to have to answer one way or the other. And you're going to be in trouble no matter what. I'm a lawyer. Jesus says, you're nothing. You're not even understanding. You don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus says, no, man. It has to do with the heart. He doesn't quote from the Ten Commandments. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And then he combines with Leviticus 18. Because now he says in verse 39, and the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. And then he says, on these two commandments depend the law, the whole law, and the prophets. On these two commandments, everything else is based. The ethical, the ritual, all of it is based on who God is and how you are to respond to God. Everything else depends on that. But they too were focusing on the rituals and the ethical behavior. Jesus says, you're missing it. You're missing it. The whole, the heart of the law and the prophets is the love for God that we understand who he is. Right? And when we understand deeply who he is, then we're going to respond out of love. And we're going to, man, everything about me. If life doesn't work, it's about God. It's about the Lord. But do we know him? And now that's what he's going to get at. They didn't know the law. But even more importantly, the lawgiver. The lawgiver. Now, Matthew doesn't say, well, he silenced them. <laughs> he had already said it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the previous paragraphs. But here he's like, it's a given. I mean, they, they, they didn't know how to deal with this. You know, 
So he didn't, he didn't say that. He, he just goes on to the next thing. In verse 41, here it is again. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered, and once again, here, the verb is passive. Something was done to them. They were brought together. In the way he was answering and what was happening, Jesus was gathering them so that he could instruct them about their misunderstanding of Messiah. They thought that they were gathering them. They were doing all. No, 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 no. <laughs> they were being gathered. And so it says again in verse 41, Now while the Pharisees were gathered, something was done to them. Jesus asked them a question. Like, uh-oh. At this point, they were probably reeling from <laughs> the humiliation. They had sent their A-team and... He'd gone away like he couldn't answer. They were probably still reeling from their humiliation because you got to remember, you got to remember, everybody was there. You know, I mean, there was a huge audience. I, I know. The, 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 and then the, all the disciples were there. And now he's going to ask a question. <laughs> Where's the nearest exit? <laughs> so now he asked them a question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, Jesus could have just <laughs> humiliated them, called them names. He could have just, no. Hey, think about this. Wh what do you think about this? Um, what about, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, okay. We can answer that one. Well, the son of David. Check. Very good. Now, let's check your understanding of who this son actually is. And he quotes, he quotes from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted verse, uh, psalms in the whole New Testament. So he quotes from, the, from Psalm 110. We'll go there in a minute. They said to him, son of David. He said to them, then how? How does David in the spirit, and he has to add in there so that what? So that they know this is the inspired, authoritative word of God that I am about to quote to you. That's the point. So how is it David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, and now he quotes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. If David called him Lord, how is he his son? Huh. Turn to Psalm 110, 110, because, you know, um, Jesus was, was, was teaching them, helping them, right? So in, in Psalm 110, this is where Jesus is quoting from. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. You see that right there? That's where he's quoting. Now, you need to know something else. The word Lord is repeated, right? The Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord in the Hebrew is Yahweh. The second, Adonai. Two different words for God. Two different words for God. Yahweh is the more personal, almighty God. Adonai is the all-powerful Lord. And so here we have God talking to God. And we can see that God the Father is talking to God the Son. You see? And so the Lord said to my Lord, and who's right here? David. And David calls Messiah, which is, that's the question that Jesus asked. Who, who, this Messiah, this Christ, Christos, Messiah, 
Who is he? Who is this Messiah? And point, you Pharisees and lawyers and everything, you have, you, you have misunderstood. You're ignorant of who Messiah really is. He goes here and says, my Lord said to my Lord, God said to my God, God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand. The right hand was the highest privilege and the all-powerful place. The right hand, um, the omnipotent hand of God and the right hand of God, the almighty, all-powerful right hand of God. That's where God the Son sits. Sit to the right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Zion, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the um, White House, so to speak. The Capitol building, so to speak, where the Capitol building is at. But he said, God is talking to God. So basically, God is telling him, look, you're going to rule from the cosmic, divine White House. And I'm going to make sure that all your enemies get destroyed. You're going to rule. Uh, you, your people will volunteer freely because they know you, because they know you as God. They freely want to do this. It's not just about do's and don'ts. It's about the heart that they really want to do it. Free in the day of your power. In holy array, oh. What are they fighting about? They're going to fight about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. That's what God is really interested in. He can solve problems like that. But to hit the human heart and help them with their holiness, that's divine work. That's divine work. We can't do it ourselves. In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. Man, your people are going to be refreshed. They're going to be like youth. Man, full of power, full of energy, full of motivation because they know you. And the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Oh boy. Jesus is quoting from here. Jesus is quoting from here. This Messiah, he's not just the king. He's also the priest. What kind of priest? You're a priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest, uh, priest king that came to Abraham when Abraham had won some battles. And Abraham bowed down and gave him a 10%, acknowledging that this Melchizedek was much higher than him. Both Melchizedek and Christ are men, literal men. Remember what they answered? Whose son is he? Son of David. Yes, sir, a human being. But this human being is not just a human being. This human being is divine. No, you know, beginning to him. He's from everlasting. Melchizedek. King of righteousness, that's the meaning, Melchizedek. And he's the king of Salem, Salem, peace. So he is the eternal king, the righteous king that is of peace. And you are in the order of the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is Messiah. This is Messiah. And by now again, the priests or the Pharisees knew. They knew Psalm 110. Especially the lawyer knew the Psalm 110. And it was just like, oh my goodness. Verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. Who sat at the right hand? 
the Christ, the Son of God. The Lord says at your right hand, he will shatter kings in the day of wrath. You know, when Jesus Christ come back, comes back, there won't be any plea bargaining. There won't be any argumentation. There won't be any corruption of a judge. There won't be any misunderstanding. Uh, 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 I got to appeal to the Supreme Court. I am the Supreme Judge. And I'm not just the Supreme Judge. I am also the executioner. Really? Well, there it is. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. <laughs> He's the one that's going to carry it out. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. In other words, there's going to be absolute satisfaction of the king. Because he's fought for righteousness and he brought in righteousness. That's the promise of God. And he's going to bring it through Messiah. But they didn't know that the way he was going to do it at his first coming was to literally die for all of their sins. You see? And that's what Jesus wants them to know. You think you know Messiah? You think you know who I am? You are so ignorant. And that's what I was saying, brothers and sisters, when we have ignorance of Jesus, we can go the same direction as the Pharisees were going, depending on their expertise, on their abilities to obey the law. Now, they had no understanding of the real Jesus and all that that means, you know. I mean, the Pharisees and all of them had all these incredible, incredible ways to come up. Uh, I read here from one of the commentaries. The scribe declared that there were 248 affirmative precepts as many are the members of the human body, and there were 365 negative precepts, as many as days in a year. The total, 613. The number of the letters in the Decalogue. Man, they had figured out all these little numbers. But Jesus cuts through all this hair-splitting stuff to the heart of the problem. You see? Love the Lord your God with all your being. And love your neighbor as yourself. Man, that cuts through the whole thing. And all the Decalogue and all the sacrifices of Leviticus hang, depend on that, on those two. And I'm the one that's going to bring you righteousness because you cannot do it yourself. You are the epitome of, quote, unquote, obeying the law. Nah, nah. So for us again to say, Lord, help me understand, Lord. Help me understand because I don't know you very well. I don't know you very well. I thought I did. And I can, I can grow in that knowledge. You know, the beginning, of course, is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, right? That he literally died for all of our sins and rose again from the dead. But then from there to say, tell me, I need to know him more. Um, and so, do I honor him with my life? Because that's really the way it's going to show up, right? It's not whether somebody else honors them with their life. No, 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 me, me, me. Start with self, right? Are we living in such a way that we honor God with what we're doing? Is what we're doing loving is it loving? Um, and to learn all that, it takes a lifetime. 
It's not a quick one, two, three, here's to do it, here's a checklist, now do it, and boom, there you have it. If that was the case, man, God already gave us the Ten Commandments. And God gave us already all kinds of rules and regulations. <laughs> no? No? Um, and it shows up in the way we respond to problems, right? Whether it's anger or self-justification or hiding or running away or what have you. Uh, I don't care if it's against God. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make me feel like a man or I'm going to feel like a woman. Nobody pays attention to me, so I'm going to get my attention one way or another. And um, it's disastrous, disastrous uh, when we drive around and we do our own thing because we don't know Jesus very well. We might even know him intellectually, but we don't know him very well. So I say, uh, examine yourself and how you're living life. Examine yourself how you're living life um, so we can apply it correctly. James 4 says, why are there so fighting and quarrels among you? Is it not because you want your own way? For your own pleasures, you ask and you, or you don't ask and you don't receive. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. Read James 4. You know, it's not about God. It's not about knowing Jesus. It's about getting my way, what I want. And we really don't honor God. Um, then it also shows up when we try to force our own way, right? When we try to force our own way. And think it's right and end up making a mess of things. Again, James 1, James 1, 19. James 1, 19. This you know, my brethren, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Someone said, you know, I get angry so quick, I'm just a chip off the old block. My dad was just like that. Is your heavenly father that way? Uh, yeah. No. Um, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, ouch, ouch, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. With humility. Mm. Can you imagine if the Pharisees had said, wow, man, you're right, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Forgive us. You are Messiah. Messiah is more than just a man. He's not just the son of David. He is divine. He is God. David called him my Lord. And God the Father declared, sit down in my right hand. He is God, not just a man. Oh, and what does that mean for my life? What does that mean the way I make decisions? The way I respond, that means I'm not going to force things because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He really is. It's not about just saying the words. Uh, I often complain, and you've heard me before. I complain about, God, you know I have cows. You know I need rain. I need rain. So the grass could grow and the cows have something to eat. The clouds come real dark, real close to the house, and he raised everywhere except my house. Come on, God, what's the matter? Yes, Lord. Your Lord. And if this is what it takes for me to know you as Lord, Bring a drought. Have my cows die. But I need to know you as Lord. 
Don't try to force things in life. No. My last application is, we need to be encouraged by who Jesus is, right? We need to be encouraged by who Jesus is. Uh, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. What does a priest do? A priest has two main functions. A priest, in a way, is between God and man. And the priest is to represent God to the people. And the priest represents the people to God. We have a high priest who will be there for eternity representing you and me. And he will forever be able to say, Dad, I know. Yeah. And he will forever be able to say, Look at me, I am God. In all that we experience, be encouraged by who Jesus is. He holds his position of priest forever. And it's important because he holds his holiness forever. And he gives us his holiness forever. The Pharisees, the lawyers thought that they knew him and they could trap him. Nah. And sometimes we think we can sidestep Jesus, right? Nah. 